When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you suggestions and hacks for making your life happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. This week, we'll talk about why you should remember love and why you shouldn't listen to anyone tell you what you should be able to do. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, I rarely have to remember love with you, which is actually a good thing, as we will explain. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretch, um, as you know, I'm co-hosting the new podcast, Happier in Hollywood. Oh, yes. And I wanted to tell our listeners that uh, to tune in tomorrow because we're going to be talking about eating at our new job. Yes. um, Always a dicey subject. (laughs) And I will tell you what happened when I boldly suggested that we as a group decide not to buy any unhealthy stuff. (laughs) Well, I think I can imagine how that went down. If I'd been there, Alyssa, I would have been right on your side. I would have been advocating for you, but um, I fear... I know you would have. I fear that may not have been the overwhelming response. So, okay. So that's coming up tomorrow. Excellent. And before we jump into our Try This at Home for this week, in episode 121, we talked about uh, how to read more. 
And it was fantastic. We got a lot of great additional suggestions from listeners about how they managed to read more. Gretchen, Lori had a great suggestion, which I can't believe we didn't think of, which is listen to audiobooks. Yes. That can really up your reading time. Yeah, I don't know how we left that out because that is something that I, I feel like more and more people are doing that all the time, listening to audiobooks as a way to get their reading in. So that's a fantastic suggestion. Yeah. Joanna pointed out something very obvious, too, which is go to a room that doesn't have a television on. Because even if you're not actively watching, the sounds and the images from the TV are distracting. And I find that to be very true for myself, except I have noticed with sports. If, like, I'm in the room Hmm. and Jamie's watching sports, like a golf game or a golf, what do you call it? A golf match, a golf tournament, golf tournament, Tournament. Uh, yeah, golf tournament. That doesn't bother me. I can concentrate. But if it's anything where there's regular talking. So I thought that was a great suggestion. Yeah. And then several people wrote about how much e-readers have helped them to read more, Uh, even people who love actual physical books, because the book uh, is so much more accessible throughout the day if you have it on an e-reader. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's even if you really prefer a physical book, it's good to have this backup system. And Caitlin, who said she was a converted e-reader, pointed out there's an additional benefit, which is she said, this strategy has helped me stop obsessively scrolling through social media. Instead, I find myself Mm. gravitating toward my Kindle app, which makes me feel more productive and happier. So when she has that urge to pick up a device and tune into something, she's reading a book instead of, you know, checking some other app that is more distracting. So I thought that was a good point. And then Lisa said she actually created a reading space in her house, a cozy area with armchairs and a table with a lamp and an ottoman and a cuddly blanket so that it's really inviting and it motivates her to curl up with a book. Yeah, that is a great suggestion, having like a dedicated space. Now, several people mentioned the advantages of using a library, and they had sort of different reasons for this. Some people pointed out that having a physical book is a reminder to start reading, whereas if you're using an e-reader, you can forget Mm. about it, but the actual physical book is a cue. Some people say that knowing that there's a time limit kind of makes you want to read because you're like, wow, I only have three weeks. I better do it. And then as somebody pointed out, if I haven't started a book in three weeks, probably I'm not that excited about reading it, so maybe move on. And I find that I like using the library because then I don't have to be discriminating. I feel like if I'm buying a book, I really have to think about it. Whereas if I'm at the library, just like anything, like a title catches my attention or I like the cover or I've heard vaguely good things about something, I just stick it in my book bag and don't worry about whether I actually read it or not. And so I feel like it lets me have a lot more fun with choosing books because I don't have to be so picky. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and a lot of people mentioned that they wanted recommendations. And I would just say that if you like recommendations, I have this book club where I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Once a month, I send out this free newsletter that where I recommend one book about happiness, one work of children's literature, because I love children's literature, and then one eccentric pick. And this is a book where I'm like, I love it, but I am not saying that everybody in the world would love it. So I just throw that out there for your consideration. I'm not making, you know, any any guarantees. Um, so I'll put a link to that if you want to sign up for the book club to get my book suggestions. It's so much fun. Yeah, Gretchen, I always love reading your book suggestions, even if I don't actually read the books. <laughs> I like seeing the suggestions. It makes me feel like I'm doing something, even if I don't follow through. You know, it's funny because for a long time, I didn't describe the books at all because I feel like a lot of times when a person describes a book to me, it makes me less interested in reading it because it sounds boring. And even if somebody's like, it's not, it's so good, read it anyway. I was like, just take my word for it. I don't even want to describe it. But so many people protested. Hmm. They want a little description that, yeah, now I do write a description of the book. <laughs> so listen, this week, our Try This at Home tip is to remember love. 
And this is a suggestion. So, you know, if your parents are driving you crazy because you're at their house and you see that they've kept every piece of your schoolwork all the way back to kindergarten in boxes, or Elizabeth, maybe for you, Mm -hmm. your sister, the happiness bully, keeps trying to get you to clean your closet. Mm -hmm. You just remember love. You think, remember, this is an expression of love. This hanging on to the schoolwork, this trying to get me to clean my closet, this is an expression of love. I'm going to remember love. Well, Gretchen, I love this Try This at Home because you know I'm obsessed with reframing. Yes. That's what works for me in life, I find. It's just I have to reframe everything. Yeah. Constantly reframing. And this is one of those things of reframing. Well, can I just say it's weird to me how often reframing does work? Because I have to say, when I started doing happiness research and I would come across this, I was like, look, reality is reality. It doesn't matter how you look at it Mm -hmm. because nothing's actually going to change just because your mind has changed. Oh, my gosh. No, reframing is so powerful. Changing the way you look at something makes a huge difference. For you, it's the most effective strategy. So, I mean, it sounds so simple and kind of so effortless, but it does take effort and it really does work. Yeah. And it's kind of an antidote for nagging. You know, like for when it seems like someone is nagging you, you just go, remember love. Now, the problem in my life is I'm more of a nagger than the naggy, I Mm. have to say. Mm. So I think what I need to do is go out to dinner with Adam and and just say, remember love, you know, um, when I'm nagging you. Now, Sometimes when I nag him, it is for myself. It's really not an expression of love. Like, say I want to be on time to a party. Yeah. That's because I want to be on time. It's not because I love him and I want him to be on time. But many times when I'm nagging him, it really is an expression of love. You know, like if I want to make sure he's brought his headache medicine with us or something. Right. It's annoying to him that I ask and I'll say, did you bring your medicine? Did you bring your medicine? But it's because I love him and I hate the idea of seeing him in pain with a headache and I know he could have forgotten it and then, you know, he'll be sad. So I, it truly does come from a good place. Well, and I think you're right. This is an antidote when you're in the getting nagged position where you're thinking, well, this person's reminding me to make this phone call or to, did I pack this item or did I do something? But when you remember that they really are doing it out of love, it does make you feel like, well, it might be sort of annoying, but it's really, it's well-intentioned. Because the fact is, like, you can't change someone else. So someone's doing something that's really annoying you. They're nagging you. You can't change what they're doing, but you can remember love so it hits you in a different way. So you're like, you know, okay, my mother-in-law keeps emailing me for logistical information. It's like she just wants to know our schedule. She wants to know where we are because she cares mm. about us and she wants to know. And so remember love. It's coming from a place of love. And that really does kind of crowd out those feelings of anger or resentment when you remember why the person's doing this behavior. Yeah. And I think this could definitely come into play over like exercise and eating. I mean, I think that's an area of strife for a lot of people. Even, you know, among friends, it could be an area of strife. So it's just like, remember, if someone is nagging you about exercise, or, you know, bringing it up in discussion, it's probably because they love you. Right. Right. So when Jamie and I first got married, I was very struck by what I would call the Reuben phone habit. And Mm. the Reuben family, Jamie and his parents, just call each other much more frequently. They don't have these long conversations, but they constantly will just call each other and check in. And this was something that, you know, Elizabeth, in our family, we, we don't really have that practice. So it really seemed to me like, why are these people calling each other all the time? They're not even like right. really establishing information. It's just all this calling. 
And then I realized it is an expression of love. Like we do our update emails. They just have this kind of low level of phone conversations. And then I realized in times in his work life, Jamie really doesn't call me during the day nearly as much because he's so preoccupied or busy. And then I miss it. So I'm like, well, I was complaining when he was calling and now I'm complaining when he's not calling or I'm feeling sad that he's not calling as much. So realize like this is an expression of love. It's a way of showing love. It's not the way I'm used to in in the way I was brought up, but I have to recognize that this is where it's coming from from them and not to get annoyed by it. And, you know, the other place, Gretchen, where I think we can remember love is when we have to do like tasks that we Mm. may not want to do, like what I would call drudgery. Like, you know, when you have to make lunch for your kid every day, you know, it's like you may not enjoy doing that. Like, oh, another peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But if you think of it as, oh, this is a way of showing love for my child, suddenly it feels elevated and transcendent and like more than just a lunch. Right, exactly. More than just a drudgery, a task of drudgery. Well, there's this great quotation from Logan Pearsall Smith where he says, the test of a vocation is the love of the drudgery it involves. And I think sometimes you can say, Mm. this isn't the most fun part of being a parent or having this job, but it's an essential part of it. And so I'm going to embrace it and remember that it's part of something that I love to do. That is definitely true for work. You always, like there's always going to be things you don't like to do. And as we said, it it's always helpful to remember you, you're doing this because you love it. Yeah. Well, but here's the thing. So t- we're talking about being the naggy or the nagger. And I think that one thing that this can sort of point out is that if what you're doing is meant to be an expression of love, if that's where it's coming from, you're like, I'm telling you to do this because I love you. And that person is resisting, then maybe reexamine it. Don't keep doing it saying like, well, I'm doing it out of love, but this person is not perceiving this love. And I remember this mm-hmm. when I first got married. Jamie has very different attitudes towards, do you bring an umbrella? If it is actually mm-hmm. thunder and lightning, Jamie will bring in an umbrella. Otherwise, he does not bring in an umbrella. And I used to nag him, like, you should bring it. It's supposed to rain. Look how cloudy it is. I see it sprinkling already. And I would nag him. And then I'm finally like, you know what? doesn't really matter if he brings in an umbrella or not. And he is not experiencing this as love. He's experiencing this as nagging. So I'm going to back off because he's a grown up and he can bring in an umbrella or not as he sees fit. And so I'm going to realize that something that I intend as an expression of love is not being perceived as an expression of love. And that's hard to do. (laughs) It is. And I think in my life, like that's something I really need to look at with myself. Because as I was saying, there are Things that I am nagging Adam about that I should not be nagging him about, I can admit that. And I think I need to like actually examine before I do it and, and say, is this an expression of love or not? And if it's not, let me just hold my tongue. Well, and here's another way. I feel like there's kind of a dark side or like a shadow side to this. Try this at home. So like I used to find that when I would do something, like let's say I cleaned the kitchen, I would say to myself, Mm. I would be in the back of my mind aiming for that gold star and thinking like, oh, Jamie's going to love this so much. He loves a clean kitchen. He's going to come in and Mm -hmm. see that I clean the kitchen. Or, oh, he loves having the bed made, so I'm going to make the bed, even though that's usually his job, and it's going to be so great. And I was doing it kind of in my mind as an expression of love. But what I found is since I was doing it for Jamie in my mind, Mm. I got resentful if he didn't say something to showing that he appreciated it or often even notice it. Like he wouldn't even notice that I had done this thing. So then I got angry and I felt resentful. I felt like, you know, he wasn't giving me my gold star and that wasn't fair. But so now I say to myself, and this is kind of the opposite of remember love. It's I'm doing this for myself. 
I feel like having a clean kitchen. I'm going to clean the kitchen because that's what I want. And that sounds selfish, but it relieves him of any kind of obligation of having to react in a certain way. Because I'm like, it's not about you. It's about me. This is what I want. So I'm doing it to suit myself. If you enjoy it too, that's terrific. I would love that. But I don't need for you to recognize what I've done in order for me to feel like it was worthwhile because I just did it to suit myself. Right. Because if people have to sort of always acknowledge your expression of love very quickly, that can (laughs) go into a downward spiral. Yeah. It's very exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. And I say that as as a gold star junkie, it's exhausting for other people to constantly be doing that. But the thing about, about Remember Love, too, and, and this is something that the research really shows, is research shows that people who experience gratitude are much more likely to feel happier. They're even like more likely to be healthier. There's something about really tapping into the idea of gratitude that makes us feel happier. And also it drives out negative emotions like resentment and anger and boredom and all that or feeling nagged. And so if you are in a situation where someone's bugging you and you're able to say, I'm going to remember love. This is an expression of love. Mm. Then those feelings of gratitude and those loving feelings, like you say, are going to reframe your experience of the interchange, and then you're going to see it in a positive life, and that's going to boost your happiness. Remember love can never be <laughs> It's good. It's a T-shirt that we should all be wearing all the time. Uh, So let us know if you do try this at home. And if you manage to remember love, contact us on Twitter, Facebook, drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes for this episode, happiercast.com slash 124 for anything related to this episode. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing, from hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting. His retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And, Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from Dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com happier. That's storyworth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
Okay, Gretch, it is time for a happiness hack. And you've got uh, what I would call a travel related hack today. Yeah, we have a whole theme of travel related hacks. And I'm so excited about this hack. And I have to say, I feel kind of ridiculous because week after week, I'm sharing these super simple ideas that have me just beyond excited to share with the world. And here is my hack for traveling. So You know when you travel, you have the toiletry bag or the dop kit or whatever you call the bag that you put all your toiletries and your cosmetics and your contact lenses. Sundries. Your sundries, your sundry bag. Okay. So this is what I have done. And it is not elegant, but it is so, so practical, which is that I use Ziploc bags. You know, a reusable, resealable zipper storage bag, clear storage bag. And this is such a great hack for so many reasons. Yes. I think this is great. If nothing else, if you have something you can seal and things spill, they won't get all over your clothes. Yeah. So this is the thing. It's cheap. So, you you know, you might have this already or maybe you want to buy a larger size than you other have. It's disposable. So if something explodes, like you say, sometimes things explode, you just throw it away. You don't have to scrub it out and spend a lot of time trying to clean it out. You just throw the bag away and get another bag. Another thing about it, it's very light. Sometimes things like toiletry bags are like heavy of themselves. You're like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. like even if it's empty, it's taking up a lot of space and it's pretty heavy. These are really light and they have no shape. And so they perfectly mold to any space in your suitcase. So I find that I can fit much more in than I could when I used a toiletry bag because those have a shape. Yes. And so you kind of have to really fit it in. This thing, it just, everything just disperses to be perfectly flat. It's like water. You just kind of press on it and everything goes out. There's so many sizes. So if you have a ton of stuff, you can have a big bag. If it's little, you can have a little bag. If you feel like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff in there that could be messy, you can put one bag inside of a bigger bag so that you have like a double seal, which I often do when I have things like sunscreen, which, you know, sometimes explodes. They open and close really easily. There's no zipper jamming and all that. And they're clear. So you can just sort of like hold it up and be like, oh, where's my toothbrush? And just look at it. Whereas with a toiletry bag, especially if you have a lot of stuff, I feel like I was spending all my time just like, you know, rummaging through it, looking for like, oh, where's that <laughs> toothpick right. thing? You know, like I use those tooth, those things that, you know, you kind of those disposable toothpick things. I'm like, I can never find them. But now I just hold it up and I'm like, oh, there's my little case. So I am just super excited about this hack. <laughs> Well, it's also good because if you're if you're doing just a carry-on bag and you're going through airport security, they like to have items in clear bags. Right. So you could have a clear bag that's just your items that need to go through and then a clear bag that's everything that like your hairbrush that doesn't need to go through. But it's all very obvious, like what's what. And yes. um, it's very easy to organize. So I do love Ziploc bags. I do find myself using them in all different kinds of unconventional ways. And this is one of my favorite because it's just... It doesn't feel as elegant as having some like beautiful bag that you got for your birthday. Right. And it looks very kind of um, temporary. But I started off using this as a temporary solution when something exploded in my toiletry bag and it was Mm -hmm. beyond redemption. And then I found this is actually works much better than having an actual something that I bought at the drugstore. So there you have it. Yeah. I feel like when Ziploc came out with these gallon bags, (laughs) you know, they didn't used to have those. It was such a game changer. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? And if anybody has any other good, cool uses, let us know, because I feel like they are this thing that has an infinite number of ways to use them. If only we had the creativity mm-hmm. to think about it. So, yes, hit us up <laughs> if you have a, a Ziploc bag related hack. That could be a whole subcategory of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Gretch, I am excited because today we're introducing a brand new segment, which we call Four Tendencies Tips, um, in which you're going to give our listeners like tips for, you know, whatever their tendency is. There's a million tips and it's one of your favorite subjects. So um, <laughs> we'll be talking about this regularly, yes. which is great because we're constantly getting people writing to us about the four tendencies and questions about the four tendencies and, you know, wanting advice or having thoughts about it. Yeah. Now I'm excited because I'm obsessed with the four tendencies. And so I love any opportunity to talk about them more. And we are, we do, we get so many questions about it that we wanted to kind of set aside time every few weeks to really uh, delve into it. Now, again, the four tendencies are whether you're an upholder, a questioner, obliger, or rebel. And if you don't know what you are, you can go to happiercast.com slash quiz and take a very quick quiz, or it'll be in the show notes for today's episode. And so the tendencies tip this week is be very wary when someone tells you that you should be able to do something. Elizabeth, you should totally be able to blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, well, you should be able to. So I think that is often a big tendencies tip off that there's a tendency conflict. Yes. It's like if someone says you sh to me, you should be able to get up and hike every morning before work. It's like it's just not going to happen because someone thinks I should be able to do it. I have to be able to do it my way if I want to change a habit like that. Well, see, and that's exactly the point. So people often want to change a habit for themselves or, or they want to change someone else's habits. And one of the worst things that we can do is to say to somebody, you should be able to. So here's some examples. If good health is important to you, you should be able to exercise on your own. You don't need to go to a gym. Mm. If you take this job seriously, you should be able to stick to the schedule that I've drawn up. If you want to make a sale, you should be able to bend the rules. Mm. If you respect me, you should be able to do what I tell you to do with no backtalk. And if you respect yourself, you should be able to make time for your own writing. I hear people say these things all the time, and I'm like, you should be able to. Um, no, that's what you think somebody should be able to do, but it's not necessarily true for other people. What I think is interesting in these examples you read off, um, of course, I'm reading as an obliger. So I, you know, I know <laughs> yeah. that like what I need is accountability. But I like the one where you said, if you want to make a sale, you should be able to bend the rules. Because for yeah. a lot of us, you know, we can't bend the rules or we're just not made that way. Well, see, that's the thing. You're an obliger and I'm an upholder. And the thing that those two tendencies share is the desire to meet outer expectations. So for us, something like, well, you should be able to bend the rules. That's very difficult for us. Yes. Exactly. For the reason that you say, like, that's very hard. Massive anxiety. Right. Now, so I, as an upholder, might say to you as an obliger, well, if good health is important to you, you should be able to exercise on your own. But you're like, I need accountability for that because as an obliger, I need accountability, right? So you're going to do much better if you're not doing it like on your own. Yes. And and realizing that is what's so important because once you realize it, then you can actually take the steps to make it happen. Just saying right. you should be able to do it isn't going to actually cause any change. For me, for some people, for you, it would. Yes, Right. And so that's why you have to understand, like a lot of times when people are telling you what you should be able to do, what they're really saying is this is what would work for me and therefore right. it should work for you. 
That doesn't tell me anything about what's going to work for me. The fact that it works for you doesn't mean that it's going to work for me. So here's a thing that questioners often face where somebody says like, well, if you respect me, I'm your boss, I'm your teacher, I'm your parent. If you respect me, then you should just do what I say with no backtalk and with no questions. Like, why are you why are you questioning my judgment? Why are you questioning my authority? Well, for a questioner, it's like they're always going to have questions. They don't mean it to be disrespectful. But if you want them to be able to do something, you need to respect that they're going to have that need to answer questions. So the idea that you should be able to do it without asking questions, well, it's just not realistic for a questioner. That's not the way they operate best. So you're much better off thinking like, well, given the kind of person that you are, how do we communicate effectively rather than going around telling people what they should be able to do or not do? Because a lot of times it just it falls flat. It doesn't work. Yes. And if it doesn't work, why do it? Well, so I had this great insight from a reader who said, I'm an obliger and my husband is a questioner. Only when I told him about your framework did he understand why I want him to ask me if I've eaten healthy that day. I want the accountability. Before that, he thought it was a really weird (laughs) request. Because if I wanted to eat healthy, why didn't I just make up my mind to do so? Mm. See, because as a questioner, questioners, it's all about that clarity. Like, what am I going to do and why? And once they make up their mind, they just do it. But for an obliger, they need that accountability. So when you understand what other people need, then you can say, like, this isn't what you should be able to do. Let's be realistic about what's going to work. And then everything just becomes so much easier. Yes. So I cannot stop talking about The Four Tendencies. It is my favorite subject. The book is coming out in September. So if you want to pre-order that, I will put the link in the show notes. It really does help me if you pre-order. And I'm just so excited. I've pre-ordered mine a few times, I think. Oh, because you're such a good sister. (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting that it's going to bust out into the world at last in a couple months. Okay, Gretch, it is time for a listener question. Um, and everybody remember um, that one way to reach us is to leave a voicemail question at 774-277-9336 or catchier, <laughs> 77-HAPPY-336. And Alyssa, this is a great question because we've got some ideas, but we also want to hear a lot of ideas from listeners about their advice uh, for Nicole. Yes, this question comes from Nicole, uh, who's uh, in Illinois, but originally from our hometown of Kansas City. She yay, says, "Yay, we love Kansas City! Yeah, yay, KC!" She says, "I was wondering if you have any advice on dealing with anniversary dates. Of course, many of my personal anniversary dates are celebratory—birthdays, wedding anniversaries, etc. But some are related to grief and loss. And for weeks before, I just dread seeing the date coming up on the calendar. I get sucked into the past and miss out on being happy in the present. I know people that have other types of personal tragedies, and they will sometimes mention it's been X years since dot, dot, dot. So I imagine others might struggle with this, too. Your insight would be greatly appreciated. Well, I think this is something that a lot of people face because, like, as she says, we have happy anniversaries, but a lot of times a sad date or, you know, where something bad happened or when we were really anxious about something that can lock into your brain, too. And you see that date coming up in the calendar it definitely um, can can drag you down. Yeah. So it's one of these things where it's like you it is sad. There's you know, there's there sometimes there's no way to change the fact that something is sad. But yeah. it's how do we deal with it so that it doesn't color, you know, too, too much? Well, I think one thing that Nicole could think about doing is knowing that a date is coming up. That's a sad date. Could she do something on that date to try to overwrite 
the badness of the day with positive associations and if possible tied with happy memories of that person so say Mm -hmm. it's the death of someone you might think of like well this person loved fine dining and loved going to new restaurants so every year on that anniversary I'm going to go to some wonderful restaurant and think of the happy memories that I shared with that person to kind of celebrate that person in their life or if it's some other kind of negative experience you might say well I'm going to think of a really positive experience like you say not to try to block out the sadness or to pretend that it's not there, but to just try to make positive associations with that day, too, so that it's not just a day that is filled with like dread and grief. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, I like to toast, you know, you can if you go like toast the person and, yeah. and say something, you know, great about them and have a nice memory. Yeah. I also think, you know, at one point in the podcast, Scratch, we talked about designating time to worry. Yeah, yeah, scheduling time to worry, yeah. Scheduling time to worry. I think you could almost schedule time to feel sad. Yeah. Because part of it, it does sound like the dread that's coming, like, I'm going to feel sad. Do I feel sad now? Has it started yet? Yeah. All of that. It's like, maybe if you just said, okay, I'm going to feel sad on that day. But until then, I'm not going to like let myself just get swallowed up in this. That could help. Yeah. Or even like set aside even a time within that day. It is surprising how often that can work where you schedule time to have the emotion so that it does, like you say, it doesn't bleed into a lot of like anticipatory feeling. I've got to say, even like with silly things, I know exactly what Nicole is talking about because like literally to this day, When I, I don't even know how old I was, maybe eighth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, I went to summer camp for the first time. And I was so full of dread and fear of that first day of going to camp Mm. that June 20th is a day that every single year, every time I see that date, I get kind of like a little wash of anxiety. Mm. And now it's almost like it's kind of a fun, nostalgic thing because I'm like, wow, that was so long ago. And man, I'm still feeling bad about it. So, I mean, and that was such a little thing, which was very short-lived. And then I, I loved summer camp and it was all fine. Um, So I really, I mean, I given the strength of my emotion towards that date, I can only imagine what somebody might feel in connection with a date that had much, much more powerful negative emotions associated with it. I mean, this is It's really something where just the calendar itself can be full of pitfall like that. Yeah. And the other thing is, I think a lot of times we're just trying so hard not to be sad. It's okay to be sad. You know, Yeah, that's a natural human emotion. You can't go through life without being sad. And it's okay. I mean, you can say, oh, I'm a little sad today because it's the anniversary of, you know, my father dying or something. And people understand that. So it's like, don't you know, don't feel this pressure to, to not feel your emotions because um, they're natural and they're part of life. That is such a good point. And, you know, I bet there are a lot of suggestions that other listeners have used to deal with this problem of sad anniversary dates or um, uh, difficult anniversaries. So if you have any great strategies, send them in, because I think we could all really benefit from knowing like a lot of because as you say, it's a natural part of life. You don't want to deny it, but you want to manage it so that it doesn't take over your experience in a way that becomes a big happiness stumbling block. So thank you, Nicole, for a very thought-provoking question and one that I I think we're going to get a lot of listener suggestions about other ways of dealing with it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, Alyssa, it is time for demerits and gold stars. And what is this design your summer demerit that you speak of? Yes. Well, Gretchen, it's actually not a demerit about designing my summer. It is a demerit for not designing Jack's summer. So, you know, my son is seven years old. He's obviously not designing his own summer. That's up to his parents. And I really didn't take this in hand. And, Mm. you know, I do feel like it's in my realm of responsibility. Like, I'm usually the one who like signs Jack up for his after school activities. Not that Adam and I don't discuss it, but I often am the one who's just dealing with that stuff. Yeah. And I just didn't deal with it. Yeah. And so now it's summer and he has like a week of camp, but I didn't look into all the different camps and think about what could he, you know, have loved doing. Instead, he's just doing a lot of nothing which, you know, has its own merits. But if he's doing nothing, I want it to be like in a planned out way, not in just because we didn't, I didn't have my act together. You, you, you know? want it to be mindful, open leisure that you did as a strategy, not just like, well, I, I never did sign him up for that class. So I guess he's staying home. Exactly. I mean, part of it is, I know you've talked about that and you've talked about this on Happier in Hollywood too. Like, part of it is that what is for most people kind of their summer is actually like your kind of fall winter it's your really busy season did the summer kind of creep up on you or you were so distracted that you kind of missed deadlines or what do you think went on um I think it did creep up on me and I think that it's true that because it's a busy time for me and for Adam it's like that much harder to sort of designate separate time to figure out this whole puzzle of summer for Jack So I think that like it is a part of it. I think like if I was not doing much right now, it would have been much easier for me to take some time, look at websites, talk to other parents, see what other people were doing, you know, all of those logistical things that can take up a lot of time. Yeah. And I just failed. The other thing is, you know, I think I'm torn because we didn't have really planned out summers. I mean, yes, maybe we went to camp a couple of years, but it was like the rest of the time wasn't planned out. It wasn't scheduled the way things are now. Yeah. And I think like I have such fondness for our summers growing up that it's like part of me is hesitant to take that away from Jack. Yeah. Well, this is interesting because it goes to the strategy of clarity. So in my book, Better Than Before, I talk about the 21 strategies of habit change. And a lot of times, if it's a habit or even just something that you want to get done, when something doesn't get done, a lot of times it's because there's not clarity of values. Like two values mm. seem important. And you're what you're saying is you have two values that are in conflict and you kind of in your own mind haven't really decided which is more important. Do you think it would be better for him to have like a very carefully planned summer with lots of activities? Or do you think it would be better for him to have a summer that was full of wide open leisure? They're both valuable and you could make a case for both. But I think what's making you feel bad is you didn't choose one or the other. It just happened by default. And so you don't feel like you lived your values because if he'd been like, these kids today are too overprogrammed. I want Jack to have days and days and days with nothing. Then you would be like, and I did exactly what I planned on. Right. But I think you feel like you kind of made a default decision, but maybe part of the reason that 
you didn't move forward is because in making plans is because part of you was like, maybe I shouldn't even be doing this at all. But you didn't kind of get that clarity right. in time to have it shape the summer. You, it didn't design the summer the way you wish it had. Yeah, I think I think you're really right. I think what I need to do is really think about this, look at it. And, you know, there's still some summer left, so I could still do some planning. Yeah. And and maybe I need to also bring Adam on, you know, on board to help yeah. because I, I'm just not handling it on my own. Well, and just to say, like, well, what do we want his summer to be like? Let's talk about it as like the two of us. Like, what do we think he wants? It's because it's summer is complicated. I mean, you know, it's like school is school and you just like there it is. You just deal with it. But the summer, yeah. it's so many moving pieces. And then if you have travel or family coming in, it's just... It's a lot. It's a lot of logistics, and so if you have a lot on your plate, it feels overwhelming. Yes, overwhelming is the word. I feel your pain. Yes. Um, okay, Gretch. Well, give us a gold star. So, as you know, I love to read. We were just talking about people who want to read more and getting recommendations because what a lot of people say is, I would love to read more, but I don't know what to read. Mm. So I keep this gigantic running library list so that I never run out of ideas for things that I want to read. And I was very excited because recently in the New York Times, one of the book critics for the Times, Dwight Garner, has started a new column called American Beauties. And what he writes about is undersung American books of the past 75 years. So he goes back years to books that maybe you didn't hear about because they came out, you know, 30 years ago, but that are really, really good and that he thinks that people should remember and read. And I have to say, I've already read a couple of them. I literally, I went, this is hilarious. I went to the library, went to my library and make a beeline for this book, which was called On Fire. And I'm standing there and I'm pulling it off the shelf and right behind me, this woman walks up and she's looking up at the shelves. And I'm like, so that, well, it's kind of unusual that we're both like standing in front of the very same <laughs> shelf in this big library. And then I noticed in her hand was the page that she'd ripped out of the newspaper. So she was looking <laughs> for the book herself. So I was like, ha ha, I gotcha. And so I told her, I was like, I'll read it right away. So I'll return it very soon. She's like, okay. And it was a, it was a great book. So um, I want to give a gold star because I love it when people recommend books that I wouldn't otherwise hear about. And I'm a big believer in, you know, just because something came out 30 years ago, if everybody loved it then, I would probably love it now. So I love anything yeah. that helps me discover new books. So thank you, Dwight Garner. And thank you, New York Times, for the American Beauties column. Check it out if you want books to read. Yes. Another tip, Gretch, and the reading more category. <laughs> yes. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Remember love. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes and rate and review us. That's so helpful. <laughs> and here are some additional resources. As I mentioned, if you want to join my book club where I recommend three books each month, you can email me at podcast at GretchenRubin.com or you can look in the show notes, happiercast.com slash 124. Or you can go to happiercast.com slash resources, because now I'm always I'm going to post all the links to any resources on that page. So by show episode. So you can look at happiercast.com slash resources. And speaking of books and of reading, if you would like a free personalized signed book play for you or for some friends, you can ask for them like within reason. I would rather not do 50 for one person, but... 
Ask for those. Or if you have an audiobook or an ebook, I will send you a free signed personalized signature card. To request those, you can email me or look in the show notes for 124 or go to happiercast.com resources. But unfortunately, I can only do it for the U.S. and Canada because of the mailing cost. This is actually a physical thing that I will mail to you, and I just I have to limit it to the U.S. and Canada. So I am sorry about that, listeners. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us Onward and Upward. So, Elizabeth, have you read anything good lately? What What are you reading these days? You know, I'm reading this book, Solari, Gretch, which I think you would love because it's very sort of Game of Thrones. Ooh, say no more. <laughs>